Hello, everybody. Can y'all hear me? My name's Matt Butin. If you don't know me, um, I am very grateful to be here today because this is actually my first Sunday back uh, since we've been meeting in person. So, understandably, I'm sure, uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of cool. Uh, but I'm sure y'all, because each of us had kind of a first Sunday back, and I'm sure y'all have a sense of kind of what I'm feeling right now, um, the strangeness of what it is to have gone through everything we're, we have gone through and, and the things that we're continuing to go through. Um, we actually wanted to come last week, my wife and I and our daughter Zoe. Uh, she's a pandemic baby. She's 14 months old, and she actually came with me today. She's right on the other side of the building over here. Um, but we wanted to come last Sunday, but we weren't, we kind of, with the information on Delta and uh, with just the ever-shifting landscape that we have, we felt like the wise decision was to continue to worship from the YouTube Live channel that we have. So shout out to the YouTube Live folks. <laughs> that would normally be us. We'd probably be cooking some breakfast over this <laughs> and leaning into the grace of what it means to do church now. Um, but it is a gift uh, to be with everyone today, to be here in person. And I believe that God has a good, uh, truthful word, an honest word for us today. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 8. So if you have, I'm, I'm going totally from my glow up Bible or glow, glow in the dark Bible. My friend calls it a glow in the dark Bible today. So I'm going to be reading from my phone. Uh, feel free to pull out that or if you have a real Bible, wow. Um, but we're going to be in John chapter 8 verses 52 through 59. And just to set the scene a bit for us. This text is actually in the middle of a dialogue between some Jewish officials. Um, it's probably a, a group of people that have some power, some authority. Um, it might be some Pharisees, if you're familiar with the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, maybe the Sanhedrin, who are kind of the uh, judges and the kind of political elite in the Jewish community. Um, but these are people with power who are engaging Jesus in essentially an interrogation, frankly. Uh, and they don't have, to be fair, they don't have the worst intentions. And we'll unpack that as we go. Um, but they really do want to figure out who Jesus is. And our brother Tim, I heard a few weeks ago, he spoke on who Jesus is. Uh, so we already got a little bit of the, the groundwork here. But... Um, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, these religious officials are trying to kind of pin Jesus down because Jesus has become somewhat of a disruptor of the peace. And we'll unpack some of the context in a bit, but let's go first to the text. Um, and then we'll pray and we'll head in. All right, let's listen for the word of the Lord for us today. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever keeps my word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets also died. Who do you claim to be? 
Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, he of whom you say he is our God. Though you do not know him, but I know him. If I would say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your ancestor Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, if we're honest, we're bringing a lot with us today. As we sit either at home or as we're on the go listening, as we're over in the fellowship hall or here in person together, there is a lot going on. And it's hard to know how to follow you, Jesus. And so I, I pray that today you'd help me to be vulnerable. You'd help me to preach to myself. That you would help me to uh, speak the truth of just where we're at. To engage the reality of what we are living through. We thank you, Jesus, that you say that you are truth and that you're the way that you give us. You're the blueprint of our lives, that we can just follow you together and that can be a living relationship with the living God. So God, I, I pray that you would cultivate that in us today and that uh, the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, of all of our hearts would not just be acceptable, but that they would be beautiful in your sight today, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to start with a question. Do you feel the shifting? Do you feel the shifting right now? Do you feel the shifting in technology? Uh, as, as I walked in, I got a name tag for the first time <laughs> since I've been here at Newcom. We have new technology at our front doors <laughs> to, uh, to produce for us name tags for every individual that gets checked in. Uh, I was also just reading or watching some video on the guy with the hair who does Virgin Airlines, <laughs> uh, who's sending people into space now, kind of for fun. Uh, Jeff Bezos, I think, is doing something like this too now. Uh, but there's some significant shifting happening in technology. And that's all beside the fact that we probably didn't know about Zoom before the pandemic happened. Um, so there's these shifts that are going on. Do you feel them? Do you feel the shifting that's happening in medicine right now? We've had uh, some telehealth visits with our daughter. Uh, a lot of our visits have been holding our baby up to a screen to show our doctors what is going on with her. Uh, the shifting in uh, teletherapy, 
The pressure on the medical community during this time, on the research community, there's tremendous shifts happening in medicine. And we could go down the line, the shifts that are happening in racial justice, the shifts that are happening in economics, the shifts that are happening in law and government, the shifts that are happening in education, the shifts, and this one's particularly close to my heart, uh, because I just graduated from seminary where John actually is going, uh, uh, as well as it sounds like Bobby Jose. Yep. Uh, so good luck, y'all. <laughs> It's a great seminary, but I just got, I just finished there. And, and so I'm particularly, uh, um, if I'm just being honest, burdened, uh, listening closely to, trying to tune into the shifts that are happening in the church. Um, one of my friends says that the, sh the church right now is shifting from buildings to beings, from buildings to beings. We're learning a lot about what it is to truly be the church. We're also learning a lot about what it is to really worship. And I'll say that in light of the fact that literally I just sat over here and I haven't been in person and, and I haven't actually worshiped with singing in a long time uh, in this context. I was just, it was flowing, y'all. <laughs> I, I sat with my daughter in the fellowship hall at the beginning and they were rehearsing and I was, I, this is the first time she's ever been in person as, as she's heard a worship team lead God's people in music. Uh, and I was, I was crying both times, uh, but I say that in the midst of also, we're realizing that that's not the full picture of worship. And we're becoming a little more aware because especially younger generations, however, our society as a whole is recognizing that justice is worship as well. We're, we're remembering texts like Amos 5, let justice roll down like water. That's what I want for worship, says God in Amos 5. Isaiah talks about justice. Jeremiah talks about justice as worship. Micah talks about justice as worship. And so we're asking ourselves, what does it actually look like to worship? How might the structures of our worship need to change? So there's shifting happening in the church. But I also want to talk today about what's going on just in this space, in our local body. We have some significant shifts that have happened in our church. Um, of course, virtual services, of course, shifts in fellowship, but we're at a place that we haven't been before, namely that we currently, for the first time in our history, don't have a lead pastor. And we've had sabbaticals before, but this is kind of another level we don't have our planting pastor. That's another level, right? And there are some of us, thankfully, who were there when we planted, and y'all are now the oldest folks who walked with this whole journey of what is Newcom for the past 19, 20 years. Um, but we have some significant shifts in our midst, and we have a lot, if we're honest, I think, and in tune with what we're really going through. We have a lot of feelings about all of this. So I want to speak to that today. I want to actually kind of just face it. And I think our text is hitting it head on. Um, 
The good news is that our text was actually written in a time of total crisis as well. So we're in good company. Uh, the book of John was written in the last century of the or the last decade of the first century. So we're talking the 90s, not the 1990s, the first century. Uh, so, but but. There's kind of two audiences or two contexts that John is speaking to. The first is Jewish and the second is Christian, both of whom are going through tremendous crisis. And the Jewish population, 20 years prior to the composition of John, this book, the Jewish population has gone through the destruction of the temple. The empire, Rome, has come in and literally raised the center of their worship to the ground. Okay. So they're undergoing tremendous oppression. And I, I want to I be clear. The Bible is a book that was written by people on the margins for people on the margins. Okay. So before we insert ourselves a little too quickly into this, uh, let's be wary of whether our circumstances actually fit their circumstances. Let's contextualize this well. Uh, we do relate in some senses. Our worship has shifted, right? However, we're talking about the total obliteration of the center of all of the worship. Not even just the worship, but the sacrificial system. The presence of God was in the temple. People went there to encounter the presence of God. This was the place, the place, the only place on earth that they could go in order to for sure encounter the holy of holies, the presence of God, to know that God was there. And so when this, uh, I'm just, just to be very clear, this was not the government coming in and saying, uh, you must wear masks. <laughs> I'll just put it bluntly. This was much more than that, okay? Um, so, the Jewish population is having to rethink, and, and especially the people that Jesus is interacting with in this text, they're having to rethink what it looks like to regather the people of God. And they're trying to be creative, I think. I think they're trying to figure out new strategies and use some plans. They're resorting to their tradition. Um, and it all makes sense, right? Even the way that they're engaging with Jesus, they're just trying to protect God's people on one hand. The problem is that God is right in front of them. So we'll put that one on the side now. So we have the Jewish audience that John is writing to. On the other hand, you have the Christian audience that John is writing to. And the Christians, likely, or li likewise, are also going through tremendous upheaval. They have been for the last, uh, I mean, since the book of Acts, since the death of Jesus, a, a persecution against Christians rises up. The question is why? And again, it has to kind of do with empire. It has to do with control. It has to do with power. The Christians started associating with people that the empire, the Roman Empire at the time, had frankly marginalized in order to keep what's called the Pax Romana. The, the peace, the, the peace of the empire was maintained and established through essentially a system of worship and some various other policies and procedures that Christians frankly said, we have to say no to this. We cannot uh, uh, bow to gods that are not Jesus. Uh, we follow a living God. We follow a resurrected Jesus. We follow a resurrected Christ. And so 
that gets uh, pretty difficult. Uh, the, the, the Roman Empire, actually, if you, if you don't know this, they, they, first call, they called the first Christians atheists. Christians were first labeled atheists. So if you're an atheist here today, you're in good company. We're all the same. Anyway, uh, no, but what it really meant was that the outside community looked at the Christians and they said, you don't subscribe to the theism, the beliefs about God that we subscribe to. In fact, you're resisting that and we can't be okay with that. Um, you're disrupting the systems of economics that we have. You're going to places that are frankly dangerous and not safe for uh, the wider community. Associating with the sick, associating with people who are widows and orphans, associating with the poor, bringing them into your community, and this is growing, right? So what those Christians were doing, if we really boil it down, they were, uh, I guess the way I, I want to put it, is that the Christians then were expanding their understanding of God or being true to the true understanding of God, uh, going beyond the common notions of who God was in their time. You see, friends, Christianity is radical in its truth. If you actually start thinking about who we're talking about when we talk about the God of the scriptures, God is so far beyond us. And, and the Christians, these early Christians, recognize this and live in light of it in such a way that it's disruptive to the empire around them, to the dominant culture. So on one hand, you have a, uh, Christians in crisis. On the other hand, you have these Jewish folks in crisis. And, um, and this is the context of our text today. Rethinking worship. Expanding our notions of who God really is. I think it resonates. I don't know about you. I went through this pandemic and have had to really rethink, what do I believe about God? I've had to reassess uh, uh, some of the assumptions I've made, some of the ways that I've read the text, uh, the scriptures that we have. And I've had to go straight to the word of God. And by the word of God, I mean Jesus in this instance. I've had to ask the resurrected Christ, help me. <laughs> Please help me to straighten out some of this stuff. Um, or at the very least, to continue to just walk with you and with my community. But religiosity and this, these religious officials that Jesus is engaging with in our text is very different from that, right? From, from engaging in a real active relationship with the living God. And this is what Jesus is beckoning them into, though they probably don't realize it through this one conversation, through this debate. Um, isn't it just easier to plan, <laughs> to have a strategy, uh, to have a vision of how the next five years are going to go? Honestly, I'm just yearning for that type of security and stability after this year. And I'm sure many of us resonate. Um, but, but this is often what we do in religion. Instead of being in a relationship, constantly tuning into the spirit of God, we'd rather resort to a set of principles, a bunch of statements about what systematic theology ought to look like in its ideal form. The problem is that the world is just so much more messy than that. And so when the rubber meets the road, we find ourselves uh, 
either doubling down on that system, on our plans, on our, um, on our rules or our theology, or resigning and saying, Jesus, I need help right now. We have a relationship that we can enter into with the living God. And I think that's what Jesus is doing. So let's unpack it just a bit, specifically with the text. Okay, so they ask him, uh, uh, are you saying that you're greater than Abraham? Okay, and what's going on when they ask him uh, that, that, about that, about Abraham, is they're tapping into the founder of their faith. They're tapping into the patriarch of the promises. This is who Abraham was. He's the one who Paul writes about. If you remember, uh, uh, he believed, uh, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So even for the Christians, Abraham is a pretty big deal, right? Um, to put it into historical context, Abraham lived about 2,000 years prior to the composition of the book of John. And so these Jewish officials are looking back saying, whoa, 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 this guy helps us with our identity. This is the founder of our nation, the father, the patriarch, the, the, the person who, who started it all, who makes faith possible for us in many ways. Uh, and you're saying you're better than this guy? And Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, kind of steps aside, doesn't meet him head on, doesn't just say, yeah, I am. He steps aside and he says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He says something that's kind of ambiguous. He says something that, that gives them a degree of perspective that were they to have ears to hear, they would be invited into, the rela into relationship again with the I am. They would be able to kind of check or at least loosen their grip on those rules, on the law, on the procedures that they have of what to do with a heretic, what to do with a disturber of the peace. They'd be able to let go of some of that and actually listen to what the living God is saying now. However, as we read, it's a little too much for them to, to do. Jesus is asking too much. It's too hard. Uh, they're not ready to make that theological jump to say God could come in the form of a human being. I mean, that's, I, honestly, if I'm being real, I don't think I would have believed Jesus in that moment. So I'm kind of grateful I'm on this end <laughs> of things. But I mean, the, I have a lot of compassion and just sympathy for these religious officials because it makes sense what they're doing, right? They're just trying to bring the religion back together. They're just trying to rebuild after a time of crisis. And Jesus challenges them even further. But Jesus is saying, I am. And that's not even a syntactically correct sentence, right? Before Abraham was, I am. He like switched tenses in the middle there. But what he's doing is he's taking, uh, uh, quoting really Exodus 3 and resorting to another patriarch of the Jewish faith, Moses, who asks God at a certain point in Moses' own deconstruction, John said, uh, in Moses' own disruption in his life and the swirling, shifting that was happening, he encounters God in the wilderness. He encounters God not in the temple. In fact, the temple didn't even exist back then. 
Moses encounters God at a burning bush in the middle of the desert. And Jesus, by saying, I am, on one hand, he's saying, y'all, remember, God can function. God will move in literally any and every circumstance. God will continue to be faithful. You can encounter God no matter how dry and desolate the world looks. No matter how disorienting things get, no matter how many questions, no matter how much engagement with power and how oppressive that can become, God will continue to liberate, God will continue to lead, God will continue to invite us into relationship with a living God. And so Jesus is pretty wise, I think pretty even uh, invitational to do this, but he's also saying, I am. He's also referencing the name that God gave Moses in the desert, the essence of who God really is. Namely, God just is. God is sheer being. God is being itself. Um, a way that some people translate it, uh, the name of God in that, in that Exodus 3 passage, is I will be what I will be. I will be what I will be. Don't box me in. You can't figure me out. I'm beyond your conceptions. And especially right now, y'all, I think we're realizing that. I'm trying to hint that even these first Christians had to realize that. They're going through chaos. And Jesus is inviting the Jews, really John is inviting the Jews to come along in that process and to say, even if your worship is disrupted, you could still follow the I am. You could still be grounded in the I am. So that's how secure this actually is. That's how prevalent and pervasive and continuous and sovereign God actually is. But as I said, this is just too much for the Pharisees because it's just easier to resort to your law. It's easier to resort to your bylaws, your procedures, your uh, plan beforehand in case all goes wrong, the emergency plan. Um, and it's a lot harder to choose to follow Jesus first and then make plans. <laughs> So I'm not saying plans are bad. Uh, I'm just saying that following Jesus, relationship with the I am is infinitely more stable and secure. But these Pharisees, these religious elite pick up stones because that's what you do with a heretic. That's what you do with someone who has blasphemed and claimed that they're God. Because we know God can't be human. God wouldn't do that. But they've boxed in God because God is standing right before them. Um, and they miss it. And so I want to shift to application here for us today. I want to ask, are we different? How might we be different? Can we find a way to not just kind of go back to the texts that, or the, 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 the plans and the, the strategies or even to that methodology of control, how do we kind of calm that impulse down? <laughs> and how do we let go and say, God, I just want to trust you in the midst of the shifting? I think it begins uh, with a posture of not perpetuating this legalism and this exclusion for our own self-preservation, but rather 
one that says, I want to preserve neighbor. I want to just love neighbor, give up my life for my neighbor, just like Christ, just like those first Christians. I'll die for you. I'd lit- I want you to thrive so much so that I would give up my own life for you. And so I think that's where this begins. But I do want to give us three kind of uh, tools, some ways of maybe potentially navigating. And just so you know, they're not like super concrete because can we do anything concrete right now? I'm like, I was trying to think like practically, can we set some plans here? Can we? I was like, that just doesn't quite seem to work with this message. (laughs) Um, So they're a little vague, but they're more postures. They're more like uh, mentalities. that will help us shift along with the shifting, okay? To continue to participate with Jesus as Jesus is still present in this wilderness, in this uh, uh, confusion. Jesus is still at work. So the first uh, I want to suggest is begin to notice your impulse to control. Just work on being aware of those moments when you say, it would just be better if I could just force this to happen. (laughs) It would be cleaner if I just uh, 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 exerted some power here. Instead of, like Christ, giving up all power, uh, 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 resigning the power of God to death, which is what we'll celebrate in a little bit here. That's what Jesus did at communion at the cross. Um, But the second is to let go of striving. And I think striving is something that um, is actually kind of for ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, It's either so that we can kind of uh, uh, feel good about ourselves and measure our own righteousness, measure our own progress with God, and we can feel real great. Or it becomes kind of a way of um, uh, 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 achieving some form of motivation or um, striving can be Uh, out of insecurity, too. Um, We do a lot of things. We do Christian behaviors. We think in Christian ways so that we can know that we're okay with God because we're anxious. We don't know if we're okay with God. So there's no peace in that. There's no resignation. There's no letting go. Um, And so letting go and allowing God to do what God is doing, not putting limits on that the I am, I think, would be helpful for us in this time. The third is listening to the living God. And just a side note, I'm going to tell a quick story at the end of this just to give an illustration. Um, But the third being listen listen to the living God. And uh, I, uh, if I could just be kind of honest and kind of blunt, uh, (laughs) uh, you don't just listen to God by reading your Bible and praying, Okay. I think as evangelicals, we often uh, just have those two ways of listening to God. We, we, and even that's how we measure our striving. That's a side note. But, but there are many ways that God speaks, friends. So let's open up our ears and our eyes to creation and the beauty, the, the, the noise that creation makes the majesty of God that creation proclaims all the time, but we just drive on by, right? Let's open our our awareness to our own bodies and how our bodies 
might speak to us about the living God. Let's open our eyes to community and the ways that community speaks the word of God into our lives. The issue for me with, with when we reduce uh, listening to God to just Bible and praying is that for those of us who don't really, uh, uh, who that doesn't seem to be the way that God speaks most actively to us, we feel excluded. We feel like bad Christians, right? We feel like, ugh, like, um, uh, why doesn't this work for me? It seems to work for so many other people. I'm kind of broken. I must, there must be something wrong with me. And I'm here to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with you. I think there's something wrong with the uniform way that we have painted the process of listening to God. So let's open ourselves a little more broadly to the ways that God can speak and not put so many boxes around it. But let me just illustrate, and then we're going to move into some communion. Um, so this is a humbling message. <laughs> Uh, because, y'all, I don't understand this stuff. <laughs> um, I'm in it, too. And uh, like I said, I just graduated from seminary. And in seminary, you take preaching classes, and they tell you exactly how to, to do this best. And you practice, and you practice, and you practice, and uh, you work on explanation, and you work on uh, repetition, and you work on application and in illustration. And... I just had a baby. We're coming into in-person. I just got hired. Uh, so, well, so we're coming into in-person work and, and a little more in-person life together. And so I'm learning to be a dad for the first time right now, even 14 months into my baby's life. So there's a lot going on inside of me, a lot of anxiety, frankly, a lot of um, just not knowing how to do this. Uh, even thinking about packing her breakfast this morning was like, okay, uh, how do I, all the moving pieces. Um, so, but, but um, I, as I prepared this message, I found myself trying to resort to all the strategies I learned. I found myself super busy because I just got a 40-hour-a-week job that's in person. So I, I would go to work every day, come home, want to be with my daughter so badly because I missed her, <laughs> spend time with her, try to keep her up till 9.30 because I was like, I just want to hang out with you. <laughs> and often did keep her up till 9.30. And, um, and then uh, she'd go down and I'd be like, oh my gosh, am I going to write a sermon right now? <laughs> Are, really, am I going to do exegesis right now? And so it's just tiring, especially when we're already tired. And so as I prepared, I was like, this, this whole strategy, this whole system that seminary taught me is just breaking. It's just not working. Like, I'm trying to make a message happen. I'm trying to force it, but I just get so tired every night, and it's, my mind just doesn't, and my heart doesn't even seem quite right. And so I get to Friday night, y'all, two nights ago, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, and I'm like, I put the baby down early. I was like, got to resist the temptation of the baby. <laughs> like, I want to hang out with you, but you're going to bed early tonight. And <laughs> put her down, and... I start, sit down at the computer with the Bible, pray, and yo, it's just not flowing. I'm just like, what? Like, why can't I catch a break here? And I'm frustrated. I spent a couple hours just trying to make it happen. Little, like, lists that are super detailed. How do I make this work? Um, coming at it from different angles. And I'm so frustrated. I'm just like, I don't have any more time left. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm with the baby. we got to figure this out. And then... Two wonderful friends text me. 
And they initially were like, hey, would you come over after the service? Because it would be great to have you and we miss you and we want to hang out with Zoe. And literally my heart was like, oh, I want to so bad. And at the same time, I had the realization that what that meant was I have to also prepare lunch for Zoe before I preach. <laughs> so that means packing breakfast, packing lunch, packing the bag, packing all the books and the things that she loves. And then, uh, and then going to someone else's house and then putting her down for a nap in a new space. And I mean, I'm just like, this is a lot for me. And so I thought about it. I was like, should I force this too? Should I just go for it? And thank God for grace. <laughs> because I just was like, you know what? I don't think I have to. These people love me. I'm just going to be vulnerable with them. And so I texted back, basically, I can't. <laughs> I can't do that. And not only was I vulnerable in my own inabilities and to, to draw some limitations on my own life, I asked something of them in return. I said, so I can't, and actually I'm in need right now. I can't figure things out with this message. I don't know what to even say. Uh, would you come over to my house tomorrow? Would you be with the baby for some time? And literally the text was like super fast. Yes, absolutely. We're so excited. <laughs> and not only did they come over, y'all, they brought me a meal. <laughs> so I didn't have to think about that. And our conversation, you're hearing some of the fruit of it right now. Right? And so Jesus was just faithful in the natural chaos of my life when I stopped striving, when I stopped, uh, uh, when I started noticing this impulse that I had to control, when I, when I started listening to the living God right in my midst who was right in front of me, it kind of just fell into place. And I'm not saying it'll be easy, but I think it'll be good. So that's what I'm experiencing today. Um, I want to shift appropriately. Uh, I'll say this before we shift. Um, the gospel for us today, friends, if you didn't hear it, is that before Newcom was, God was, right? Jesus was. Jesus was here before we were founded. So in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of not knowing, it is infinitely more secure, it's infinitely wiser, it's infinitely even more stable to lean into relationship with Jesus as we figure out new structures for worship, as we try to imagine and, and recontextualize the, the hugeness of who God is. It's just more stable to do that than to lean, than to lean on our methods of control. So let's, let's uh, move forward with Jesus in that, uh, following him together. Let's uh, shift to communion. Um, so celebrating communion is, it comes from the Greek word eucharisteo. It's a, it, it means to give thanks. And in a time like this, sometimes it's hard, especially after a message like this, it's not necessarily an upper. <laughs> um, it can be difficult to give thanks. But I want to remind us that communion is about the posture that God took toward all of us, towards literally every person, towards all of creation, frankly, to lay down God's life on our behalf. To, to say, I will pour out everything I am 
for you. I'll, I'll, I'll pour out my blood. I'll allow my body to be broken for you. And so in a time like this, we need God to be with us that tangibly. And God is here. This is how we remember that God is here in our midst, even in the chaos, even in the wilderness, even in the shifting. So as you come up today, um, I want to encourage us that God is with you and he's just extending his hand for real relationship with you. For those of us who are here uh, in person, what we'll do is you'll come up the middle aisle and we have, uh, we're reimagining worship, right? We have self-serve individual packets of communion, okay? So you'll grab one, maybe just give thanks briefly and then take it back to your seat where you can uh, take it. Um, if you're at home, go ahead and grab whatever uh, elements you have at home. Um, maybe it's juice, that's okay. Uh, we just take a posture of reverence uh, in this time. And so uh, remember the Lord Jesus as you use the elements that you'll use. So go ahead and gather those now if you're at home. And for those who are over in the fellowship hall, uh, it'll be very similar to here. There are some, some uh, individual packets of communion for you to uh, take. So... On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he blessed it and he gave thanks and he said, oh, he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat this bread, remember me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, for, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. So friends, let's come, let's remember. All are welcome. Let's, uh, let's, let's engage in a real relationship with the I am together today.